0: Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Cat, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Cat. Nehemiah chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. You know, when Moses on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments. That had to be a great moment. You know, he's the only one that knows, but that had to be a great moment. And one day when God invited him in and said, Moses, let's talk about a tabernacle where I can come and dwell among my people and he gave specific designs for a tabernacle and when the tabernacle was built the glory of God showed up. One day he gave a plan for a temple and in that temple was a place called the Holy of Holies and the Holy of Holies was the presence of God. But the temple was destroyed and the land was run over and the people had lived in exile, and in that Babylonian exile, those people had become very discouraged. The walls had been pushed down. Jerusalem had gone from the greatness of the city of David and the city of God to being just a two-bit, run-down, has-been city. But God decided to show up again. And a man named Nehemiah asked a question one day. How are things going back home? Now he had been in this foreign land and his people had been dispersed for 70 years, but he still had a heart for Jerusalem. He said, oh, that's a great reproach. The gates are burned and the walls are destroyed. And Nehemiah began to pray. And every great movement of God begins in prayer. God taking his people on their face before his throne to discover what Isaiah discovered, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and then to say, Lord, here am I, send me Nehemiah was sent he was a messenger from God to discourage people to say, you know, it can be better we don't have to live like this anymore, our God is a great God He is great and awesome. And as he explored all the rubble and all the things that were discouraging everybody else, Nehemiah looked around and said, there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity for God to work. There's an opportunity for God to get in the middle of something. There's an opportunity for a restored city. And he didn't focus on the rubbish and the rubble and the problems. Nehemiah focused on what God had taught him as he had prayed and as he had made that trip, and all the provisions God had provided for him. Most commentators skip over Nehemiah chapter 3. I don't know why. I don't know why commentators sometimes think they know better than God, but God seemed to think Nehemiah chapter 3 was important. And in all the things that he wrote down in the 66 books that he gave us, this is a chapter in one of those books, and we're not going to ignore it because most people want to jump to chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 3 is a reality check. It is about how you move forward by faith, and how you also understand that God wants us to think. He gave us minds, and He wants those minds renewed, and He wants us to think, and He wants our minds saturated with His plan, and with His will, and with His vision, and with His goal for life. And so I want us to look at this passage this morning because Nehemiah has said, let us arise and build. But there is great distress and there is apathy in the lives of the people. There, there's fear on one hand and, and apathy on the other and they've tried before and it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, we thought about rebuilding the walls but, you know, that, that failed. We were stopped and and, and something came up and, and we weren't able to do it. And, and so it, it just... just is not a good idea. Nehemiah came to say, there have been times when it may not have been a good idea, but now it's God's idea. And as God's idea, we're going to do this. And we're going to rebuild these walls. And the glory of this city is going to be restored. And and we're not going to have people mocking us because we're such a weak people and yet we claim to have such a great God. We're going to show how much we believe in the greatness of our God. We're not going to let fear of our enemies distract us, and we're not going to let the apathy of we've lived with this so long that we've gotten used to it, that we're not going to let that deter us. We're going to pick ourselves up, and by the power of God, we're going to do something different. Now, there's a law of leadership here, and that is that motivation without organization leads to frustration. Motivation without organization leads to frustration. Let's go, let's go. Where are we going? Don't know. But wherever we go, let's run fast. It's a whole lot better to walk slow, going in the right direction, than to run fast and not know where you're going. And Nehemiah is getting the people to be organized. And he's, this is a chapter of names. You, you ever skip through all those begats, begat, 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 begat? You, you, know, you kind of skip through those. You say, well, this is not really important. Well, you're a begat. Somebody begats you because you're important. God recorded some names that we would consider obscure, but God considers very important people. Nehemiah said in chapter 2, verse 17, let us arise and rebuild. In verse 18, let us arise, and now we're going to find out who the us is. God has recorded these names of these obscure people, and in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, it tells us, for God is not unjust, to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, this is a pretty simple work plan. In fact, the first key is simplification. If you're going to have things that work, the key is simplification. And this is a real simple work plan. It begins at the sheep gate and it runs counterclockwise. And the work is done around the seven gates, and ultimately it ends up back at the sheep gate. There are eight principles. Number one, simplification. Now, if you notice in verse 1, then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the sheep gate. Verse 3. Now the sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Verse 12. And next to him, Shalon, the son of Hulohesh, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters. Now notice what Nehemiah did. He simplified the plan. He organized it by families. The simplest plans are the best plans. You know... I, I'm just an old boy raised in the South. You know, you've got to make it real simple for me. You know, I, I remember the days when, when I, owed a, I owned a Volkswagen Beetle and I could change the oil and change the spark plugs. Now I have to get the manual out to find out how to raise the hood. I mean, it's too complicated for me. You know, you had empty and full and speed, and that's all you... Now I spend my time looking at the gauges and realize I'm too close to the car in front of me. things have gotten too complicated. Nehemiah said, hey, let's keep this thing simple. You know, it it doesn't take much. Let's just keep this simple. Let's organize it around family. Secondly, participation. The people came together. In fact, there's almost 100% involvement. If you read this chapter, you'll find the names of 38 individuals and 42 task force organizations. I mean, Nehemiah organized this thing. And it is organized, and the people participated, and they they had an all-hands-on-deck. Let's all pull together. We all have a project. We can't say it's not my job or I'm not interested or that doesn't appeal to my felt needs. Uh, We've got to all get this thing done because it affects all of us. Participation. R.K. Strachan says the expansion of any movement is in direct proportion to its success in mobilizing its total membership in continuous propagation of its beliefs. Well, now, verse 5 tells us there are a couple of duds in the group. There always are. That's why we know these were Baptists. The nobles of Tekoa, verse 5, did not support the work of their masters. Now, you had the leaders, the politicians... The priest, a lot of the leadership people, they were supporting it. A lot of the lay people were supporting it. But here's some lazy people. I mean, they just weren't going to support it. Notice that God's Word records the shirkers and the workers. God says, okay, you don't want to work? I'll make sure people in Albany, Georgia know about you in 1998. I'll get my point across. I'll get the last word. I'll say something about that. They did not support the work of their masters. Now, they could have not supported it for a number of reasons. Well, you know, we're too good to get our hands dirty. You know, if I'm going to continue to get my nails done every Friday, I just can't do this. Manual labor is not what I'm gifted at. Neither were the perfume makers, and there are perfume makers listed in this group of workers. God didn't say just those skilled with a saw and those skilled with a hammer. Everybody got involved. They said, well, we're, we're too good to do that. They, there may have been some that said, well, that's not our job. That's, that's not in our job description. You know, we only do what's in our job description. They may have been just unwilling to work under authority. They said, you know, we don't want to do what somebody's asking us to do. We want to live life on our terms. For whatever reason, they were sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises. And they were just kind of there, hanging around, and God said, Mark them down. We'll be able to point them out later on. So there was participation. And one of the reasons why we have the play ball strategy and one of the reasons why we work so hard in care ministry and in outreach and other things is we want you involved in ministry. We want you involved in the lives of other people. You say too many churches especially the larger they get, resemble a football game. You've got 80,000 people in the stands who are in desperate need of exercise and 22 people on the field who are in desperate need of some rest. And there's too many in the stands and not enough on the field. Our goal is to get people on the field. In fact, if you notice our play ball design, which we did about four years ago, and we go over it every time we do Sherwood Story, if you notice on our field of play, there are no bleachers. Because we don't believe this church is about people being spectators. This church is about participants. You using the gifts that God has given you to his glory. There was participation. Number three, delegation. Now Nehemiah laid out this work, and he delegated it, and he divided the labor. Now, I want you to notice something. Effective leaders delegate. There's two reasons why somebody won't delegate. Number one, their ego won't let them do it. Now, I've bet leaders that they've got to control everything, and everything's got to be their idea. And they've got to make all the decisions and have all the answers and everything has to be signed by them and everything has to go across their desk and everything has to be... I mean, it's got to come right down to the central person and only one person has to do it. You know, to his detriment, Jimmy Carter was not a good president because he had to make too many decisions and he had to know too many details to make those decisions rather than trusting somebody else to help him make decisions. Good leaders get people around them they can trust. That's the second reason why people don't delegate. They don't think they can trust people. You see, if you're going to be a great leader, if your business or your interest or whatever it is is going to grow beyond you, then you can't do everything. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I tell you what, apart from other people, you're not going to get much done either. You need other people to help you. Accomplish the task that God's got for you. And here's what you need. You need people around you who have strengths in areas where you have weaknesses, who complement and help you because the body has to work together. And God doesn't need two heads. There's one head to the body, but God doesn't need 12 arms. He just needs two. And He needs the kneecaps to do their job and the feet to do their job. Everybody has a purpose and everybody has a function and we are to delegate. Now listen. Listen. If you're ever going to be successful as a family or as a person or as a leader, you've got to learn to let some things go. When I served a church, we had a consultant come in and talk to us, and he told us in a meeting, in fact, he told the pastor, he said, the reason this church cannot get beyond this point is because the pastor has to make all the decisions, and he won't let anybody else make a decision. And this church has grown as far as one man can make decisions. Guess what? Some of you like your business to grow. You're going to have to let some other people make some decisions. You're going to have to trust them. You say, well, they'll mess up. Yeah, and so do you. You're just going to have to at some point just say, you know what, I've got to trust that God's going to give me the wisdom to bring the people around me that need to do the job, and if we mess up, we'll clean it up and we'll go on but you can't do everything. And that's the ego-driven man or woman that says, I can do it all. No, you can't. Delegation is a key. Number four, motivation. Five times in this chapter, he uses a phrase, "by his own house. John 15 talks about Jesus appointing the disciples. The word appoint there means to strategically place them. There, There was a motivation. They were highly motivated because he had them working where their home was. Hey, if they didn't do their job right, their family was the first to suffer. If they did not build the wall, if they did not do the job the way it should be done, the first people to be overrun, the first people to possibly be killed would be their own children or their wife or their moms or dads or their aunts or uncles. Their own family would be affected. They were motivated. I love what Ron Dunn says, a low motive is better than no motive at all. I mean, it doesn't matter what the motive is. You know, he motivated them and said, listen, you care about your family? You bet I care about my family. By the way, do you care about your family? Hello? Well, we better hire some counselors, man. We're in serious trouble. You care about your family? Then don't you think whatever you do, you better make sure you do it right to protect your family. Oh, it doesn't matter if we fix that lock on a door. Nobody's going to break in our house. That's dumb. What do you do? You motivate people to say, you know what? It's your kids that are at stake here. It's your family that's at stake. This is not about somebody else. This is about you. And, and by the way, if you don't do their job and you say, well, I don't care, you know, I got life insurance policies on all of them, so what if they get overrun? I'll just take a, a trip to Cancun. Guess what? Somebody else who cares about their family is going to say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. You mean you don't care about your family, but I care about mine, and I live right next door to you, and that affects me, and so I'm worried about you. So why don't you get motivated to do something about it? It was motivation. Uh, in the first commem- commencement at Southern Seminary, a hymn was sung that has been sung at every commencement since, and it says this, soldiers of Christ in truth arrayed, a world in ruins needs your aid. I want to ask you, if every member of this church was like you, what kind of church would we have? If they had your passion, your vision, your motivation, your desire, if they had your burden, if they had your prayer life, if they had your commitment to evangelism, if they had your commitment to studying God's Word, what kind of church would we have? Because you see, the motivation for you raising the standard is this church is no better than its membership. We never rise above our own levels that we set for ourselves. And if we don't set a level of holiness and if we don't set a level of godliness and if we don't have a passion for the loss, if we don't want to get before God in prayer, if we can't watch and pray one hour, then why should God bless us? Why should God do great things in our midst that cannot be explained? Motivation. Oh, man, I want God to do something great in our church. Well, guess what? He's got to do something great in you first. What God does great begins inside of you. God will work corporately to the extent that he works individually. And the sad thing is, is I've watched people be in the midst of the blessings of God and miss them because they wouldn't let God raise their standard and get on a higher plane with him. Number five, cooperation. I notice there's a key phrase, in fact it's used 20 times, next to him or next to them, look at verse 4, and next to them, verse 5, next to them, verse 7, and next to them, verse 8, Next to them, and verse 9, and next to them, verse 10, next to them. You think he's trying to say something here? I mean, 20 times next to somebody. The the phrase literally means in close connection or literally at his hands. This was not a disconnected, dysfunctional work. This was a work of people saying, you know what? I know that you're going to get discouraged. I know that you're going to get discouraged. So let's work close enough together that when the rubbish and the rubble begins to overwhelm us, we can kind of reach out and say, hey, buddy, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it through this. Hey, this is going to be all right. God's going to see us through. Hey, you know what? I had a place just like that in my wall, and God gave me the ability to build it. I had something like that going on in my life. I know the distractions you've come with, but if we work together We can make this thing happen. If we cooperate, we can get this done. We can be at each other's hands. By the way, if you're not at each other's hands, you'll be at each other's throats. It's a whole lot more fun to be at each other's hands. Because when our hand grasps the hand of God and we begin to work together and get in on what God's doing, then God's hand begins to move in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine. Here are these people working together. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says, Two can accomplish more than twice as much as one, for the results can be much better. If one falls, the other pulls him up. But if a man falls, when he is alone, he is in trouble. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 3, the word build is used six times. That word build means to start over or to rebuild. The word repair is used 35 times. The word repair means to make strong And firm, and it is a word that pictures repairing on top of something that is already there. Now, let me tell you how accurate the Word of God is. In the last five years, archaeologists have gone and found some of these old walls in Jerusalem. And in the sections where Nehemiah chapter 3 says, Build, start over, there is a new wall. But in the sections, where he says, repair, when they go to those sections, there is another wall built on top of something that is already there. You tell me God's word's not accurate. Thousands of years later, archaeologists come and find out that God was telling the truth, that Nehemiah recorded it accurately. When something new was started, God said, build it. When something old needed to be repaired, God said, build on top of what's already there. Build on top of the foundation. And the ministry of the church is to build new things while maintaining the old foundations. You see, we don't just go out and start new things. We start new things because we're also at the same time remaining faithful to the foundations that God has given us. And if you're not faithful to the foundations, the new things are going to crumble anyway, aren't they? And so they work together and they cooperated with one another. I heard about two guys moving in a refrigerator. Uh, In fact, I heard they were in Albany. Uh, They were moving a refrigerator, and they were trying to get this refrigerator moved, and they were pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling, and they'd stop, and they'd turn it and push and pull and push and pull. Finally, the guy inside the house, he's just worked up a sweat. He says, man, I tell you, I don't think we're ever going to get this refrigerator in this house. The other guy peeks around the side and says, get it in. I thought we were trying to get it out. You know what can happen in your family, you know what can happen in your ministry, you know what can happen in your Sunday school class, you know what can happen in a church, you push against each other, or you decide to push together. It moves a lot easier if everybody's pushing together, if everybody is, is of one accord. You see, the key to the church in Acts was that they gathered together in one accord. They had all things in common. They worked together to accomplish the goal of evangelizing the world. They were motivated to do that. Now, number six, administration. Verses 17 and 18 gives us a little interesting phrase. It tells about those who made repairs under another person. In other words, there's there's a chain of command here. There are lines of authority here that are laid out for these people. They have to work under somebody, and somebody has to be in charge. I mean, that's the problem with the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his eyes, and there was no king in Israel. And there was chaos. Judges is a book of chaos. Joshua is a book of victory. Why? Because Joshua led the people to great victories and to overcome great obstacles, and in Judges, nobody was in charge, nobody delegated, nobody administrated, nobody organized, and they just kind of floated and floundered, and the enemy overran them. And I tell you, the the charge that the enemy's making, Nehemiah, is true. If you're not working with God, even a fox can break down your wall. You better make sure you're moving ahead with God. And you better make sure it's clear. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. Everybody in this church has a job. And that job is keyed to the gift that God gave you, to minister, to serve, to encourage, to exhort, to teach, to have the gift of mercy, to have the gift of administration. God's gifted you to do things to his glory. Number seven, perspiration. (laughs) You say, what in the world has that got to do with God? Well, you know, it just takes work. I mean, the people had a mind to work. That's what the Word says. You think they just went out and said, now, Lord, we're just going to sit here and sing praise choruses until the temple's built. We just can't wait to watch those angels come down and put those blocks in place. I tell you, it would have never been built perspiration, you got to go to work. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I've worked harder than everybody. Jesus said you better work because there's a day coming when you're not going to be able to work. And folks, whatever we're going to do for God, we better do it now. We better not wait on the people who come behind us. We better not wait on anything else. We better do whatever we're going to do for God. We better do it now because today's the only day we've got. We don't know that we have another day. We don't know that we have another opportunity. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, Ecclesiastes 19. Now look back at verse 1. The high priest was building the sheep gate, and notice what he did. He consecrated it. That means he sanctified it. You see, the high priest never considered separating the sacred sacred and the secular. With him, everything he did was to the glory of God. By the way, According to the book of Hebrews, we're priests now. And everything we do is supposed to be to the glory of God. You say, well, man, I'm a housewife. Then wash dishes to the glory of God. Change diapers to the glory of God. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. And do it to the glory of God. You say, well, that doesn't seem spiritual. Then where do we get the idea that spiritual is just what we do at church? spiritual is you living your life as a life of praise to God and every opportunity that God gives you you find a way to be a blessing in and through your life it's not compartmentalized our Christianity is not limited to our coming into this place on Sundays and Wednesdays, our Christianity is what we do during the week, that proves the validity of it, anybody can show up for the show the validity of our faith is how we live during the week It's what gives evidence to a lost world. I want what they've got. You see, the worst thing that happens to a church is when people see people on television sing and say, well, I don't want what they've got, because all they do is go to church, and then on Mondays they act a different way. You see, God wants to use you, but you're going to have to work, because God's not going to do for you what you can do for yourself. Remember Jesus raised Lazarus? We've talked about this before. I can raise the dead, but I'm not going to move the stone. What Jesus was teaching those people was, I'll be your resurrection, but I won't be your wrecking crew. Move your own stone. I'll take care of what you can't do. I'll fill in the gaps. I'll meet the needs that you can't get done. I'll do that. God used them. Now, I want you to notice the last thing. There was appreciation. Thirty-eight people are mentioned and singled out in this book. Barak, in verse 20, is an interesting person. Uh, I guess he won the Mr. Congeniality Award or something. I don't know. But uh, he's given honorable mention because he zealously, verse 20, zealously repaired another section. This is the only adverb in the text. Uh, the, the root in the Hebrew means red-hot or blazing forth. Here's Barak, and he says, Man... Got my job done, what else can I do? He didn't say, well, I got my job done. I'm going to walk around and criticize all the rest of you that had not gotten yours done yet. I'm going to walk around second guess. I'm going to walk around and figure out how I can get out of doing anything else. I'm going to hide in my house, and maybe nobody will notice and ask me to help them. He said, what else can I do? Where else can I go? How else can I work? And God honorably mentions him. Folks, no deed done for God goes unnoticed. No deed goes unnoticed. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but but God notices the people that stay around and clean up after events. God notices the people that drive the vehicles for the performers to get there. God notices the people that change the tires for the widows. Say, don't worry about it, glad to do it. See, God notices obscure people because in his book, they're not obscure. In our book, they are. But you know, there are going to be a lot of people that God says well done to in glory that we didn't even know existed because we were too busy looking at those who looked important. And God's got a different way of judging and a different way of evaluating and a different way of registering who's important. And it's going to take eternity to show who was really important in the kingdom of God. And I tell you, some of us preachers are going to be way back at the end of the line. Because the important people are the people that nobody ever knew, that never got their name in the bulletin. I mean, they weren't even asked to lead in silent prayer. You know, they, I mean they never got anything. Just... People that God said, I appreciate that. I'll note that. I, I'm going to write that down, and I'm going to bring that up one day. And there's a day of reckoning coming, and a day of accounting coming. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Three kinds of work in Nehemiah chapter 3. No work, some work, zealous work kind of work are you doing? No work? I'm not doing anything. I'm just coming. Some work? Well, I'm doing more than other people. Are you in that group that everybody ought to be in? Zealous work. I've got a little book, and I've mentioned, uh, this guy's written several books, but it's called An Enemy Called Average. I want to read you a couple of things out of it. Few dreams come true by themselves. The test of a person lies in action. No one ever stumbled into something big while sitting down. It's a great line. Even a fly doesn't get a slap on the back until he starts to work. A famous poem by an unknown author states, Sitting still and wishing makes no person great. The good Lord sends the fish, but you must dig the bait. The smallest good deed is better than the greatest intention. History is made whenever you take the right action. Action is the proper fruit of knowledge. Getting an idea should be like sitting on a tack. It should make you jump up and do something. <laughs> Some people find life an empty dream because they put nothing into it. Every time one person expresses an idea, he finds ten others who thought of it before but did not take action. Mark Twain said, it's an appropriate quote for this morning, Mark Twain said, "'Thunder is good, thunder is impressive,' but it is lightning that does the work. The devil is willing for you to confess faith as long as you don't practice it. When praying, we must simultaneously be willing to take the action that God directs in the answer to our prayer. The Bible tells us that action gives life to faith, James two twenty six Proverbs twenty eleven says, even a child is known by his doings. Too many people avoid discovering the secret of success because deep down, They suspect the secret may be hard work. The leader prays. The leader has a passion. The leader plans. The leader deals with his problems. And the leader gets organized. Boy, Nehemiah is so practical. It's just a practical book for life. We've been praying. And we've been planning. And there's a passion. And now it's time to get organized. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Catch. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.